You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down to where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, it will be in the valley of love and delight. Do you find yourself finding freedom in simplicity, finding love and finding delight? Well, my name's Garrett, and I'm the production director here. And I had no idea how unsimple my last 16 hours was going to be. But we are talking about simplicity today. And it's amazing, because we thought everything was going to be stripped back. And sometimes when things are meant to be simple, they end up turning up harder than you thought they were going to be in the first place, right? And that's one of the reasons why I love this series that we've been in. It's really been helping us figure out the actual tangible things that we can do to simplify our life. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today, specifically regarding our things. The things that we yearn for, the things we long for, and and the things we gather for ourselves. And as I was thinking about that, I thought about my daughters. My daughters love stuffed animals. And they always want more stuffed animals. And it's amazing to me that they'll never have enough stuffed animals. And I don't know how many names we've had to come up with. I mean, how many times can you call a dog, you know, Rough Rough or, you know, Jogger? I don't know. You come up with all these names that you're just like, you know, can we even fit any more in our house? That's become my question these days. We have two beds for them, one, one bed for each of my daughters, and they're just lined with stuffed animals. And then, uh, then we've got the closet, which has got a couple of big bins that we had to go grab from Target, which have got more stuffed animals in them. Because here's the thing, when they were younger, I was able to get rid of some without them knowing. <laughs> the old ones they hadn't used anymore. Now they've gotten older and they're like, no, dad, I know you want to throw those away and you can't get rid of our stuffed animals. And so we have to find more places to keep all these stuffed animals. Every birthday, it's another one. Every Christmas, every time grandma just wants to spoil the kids, they bring home another one. I'm like, what are we doing with all these? And pretty soon our garage is full. And then just a couple weeks ago, we stooped to a new level. We went to Target and we bought vacuum-sealed bags. (laughs) And uh, our daughters watched in horror as their stuffed animals (laughs) became squished. But it reminded me of this passage that we're going to read today and this desire that we have for more. And many of us have heard it and we know it, but Jesus is going to speak a word to this idea today, that when more is the goal, we'll never have enough. Luke chapter 12, if you want to turn there, Jesus speaks a story and he says this in chapter chapter 12, verse 16, then he, Jesus, told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. Now we can just stop there for a second and think about what it takes to have a productive land. This rich man is not lazy, or he has many workers who work hard for him. And a successful year looks like working hard and getting a good crop. So we know that nothing here so far is wrong. A man has worked hard. His family has worked hard, sacrificed putting in hours, and they have a very productive year. It goes on, he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? 
pretty reasonable question to ask. I've got all this stuff. I can't just toss it away. I want to hold on to it. I want to use it to the best of my ability. What am I going to do with it all? So he comes up with a solution that, again, makes pretty good sense. He says, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. I mean, if you've got the P&L sheet and you're a businessman, maybe you're not a farmer, but it makes more sense, right? If you've got a little extra and you're like, well, we're going to have more that we need to do next year, well, we better save up so that we can continue to grow this business, right? We just call that working a job in America. We call that having good business sense. And here, a man is simply saying, I've had a good year. I'm going to do what I can to keep all my crop and to build bigger barns so I can store it all. Then I'll say to myself, he says, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. We call that early retirement. <laughs> and we would love for each of us to have a large stream of passive income that we can just cruise on by in our lives, and maybe, maybe it's so great that we could even buy a, a cabin up in the woods or a beach house and go and collect our seashells and, and, and live the good life all while continuing to earn income and having more than enough. See, even when more is the goal and we'll never have enough, even when we get enough, there's a problem. And God says it right here to this man. He says, Jesus says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? See, if we're not finding God in the pursuit of our more, then what do we have at the end of our days? And sometimes we have no idea, we never have an idea of when that end comes for each one of us. And God says to this man, do you not know your life is demanded of you this very night? And all that you have prepared, whose will it be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Oof, that hits hard. That hurts. Because in America, if you make over 10000 a year, you're richer than 50% of the rest of the world. We're all like the rich man in this story. The average American home has tripled in size over the last 50 years. I've lived in some, maybe all the space that we have is actually more than we need, but we yearn for it anyways. The storage unit industry is a multi-billion dollar industry in America. Because if our tripled in size homes weren't enough, we got to have a garage to keep it all in. Cue the vacuum sealed bags. On average, we have $15,000 in credit card debt. So even when we have that more, we need more and we're willing to put ourselves in financial debt in order to get it. So we're not so different from the man in this story. And I want to go back to the beginning of this. What cued up this story? Why, why did Jesus share this? And we can find it if we look at the beginning of the passage in verse 13. Someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Again, Jesus has this way of coming up with things that seem pretty reasonable to us and then just hitting it home like, here's what I have to tell you. And Because to me, I'm thinking, well, that sounds pretty reasonable. If 
a, a family is, is, is due an heir, uh, an heirloom, you know, it's reasonable to divide it evenly to uh, the brothers, right? And Jesus has this to say. He says, friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? So basically, Jesus here is saying, I need to stay focused to my goal. My goal here on this earth is not to be a judge over you and fix your financial situation. But he does want to teach them something when this question is asked. And he says this, watch out and be on guard against all greed, or your translation may say coveting, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And then he goes on to tell this story. See, what does Jesus call our problem? What does Jesus call the problem of this man who's building bigger barns for himself and collecting more and wanting to take it easy? He straight up calls it greed. Wow. Greed, a word we don't really like to use very often in our context. It's something we don't like to admit that we struggle with. And yet Jesus is going to call it out here. The word greed in the Greek is pleonexia, which again is greediness or covetousness, which takes us to Exodus chapter 20. If we remember the Ten Commandments. And this is, I mean, the Old Testament is full of a lot of commandments, right? And only some of them made it into the Ten. And did you know coveting? is one of the 10. Exodus 20, 17, do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Anything that belongs to them. And then in Colossians 3, 5, we again see this word, and greed, which is idolatry. It's idolatry. See, Jesus calls our problem an idolatry problem. And in America, we just call it the American dream. <clears throat> this is so countercultural. We learn through our whole lives that this longing for more is just simple. It's, it's part of our lives. It's, it's something that we don't question. Maybe it's the advertisements that are thrown at us every single day telling us we need more. The competition, I have, again, a couple of daughters in school, they're elementary age, and it's amazing how young they begin comparing themselves to others and what others have, and how they long for what she has, and she's got a cell phone already, and I'm like, we're not going there. But it's ingrained in us from when we're little. And Jesus has a word to speak to it. Randy Alcorn says it this way, we live in a world that screams, make lots of money, and spend it on yourself, and you'll be happy. That's the good life. That's pretty true. The world screams that at us. There's just one problem. It's a lie. Derek Murphy, as he uh, spoke to us about silence and solitude, talked to about confession. Confession being this act of telling it like it is telling the truth to God. It's not just saying, I'm sorry, but it's telling it like it is. And a lot of times that means repenting because we fall short. And I think this is an area, it's time for us to start calling it what it is. Calling these desires, this insatiable lust for things and material wealth, what it is. And it's uncomfortable, but it's the next step in a series on hurry. You say, well, what does that have to do with hurry? How does this make sense? Why are we talking about money? Well, it's simple. When we yearn for more, 
We need more. We, we need, when we yearn for more, we need more time. We need more work. We need to put in more hours. My daughters, when they want another stuffed animal now, what do I say to them? I say, well, you better work to earn it. You know, every time we go into the store, they beeline to the, the little carousel that has all the, the, the beanie babies or the squishmallows. These are the hot new beanie babies. I don't know if you know about them, but I know all about them, more than I need to know. And, uh, and when I say, well, you have enough at home, they're like, well, I really want this one. Look how cute it is, Dad. And, well, you need to work then, earn some money to, to get it, do some chores around the house or something like that. You know, and usually I'm meaning like, you know, like a weekly chore list or something like that, right? And instead they get home and they start looking around and they're like, well, I need to do a just chore. And they do one and they're like, well, that's, you know, that's not enough to go get my stuffed animal. What can I do next, dad? And it's like they're busy. They're wanting to get to work right away. And you and I are not so different. When we long for things, we become enslaved to those things in our time. See, the idolatry of more chains us to hurry and worry. I like the way one blog said it online, The Art of Manliness, awesome name for a blog, but it's really popular. It said this, the more you desire material things, the more you've got to work to earn the money to buy them. And the more you have to work, the less time you'll have to spend on other priorities in your life. Start running on that treadmill and the, your loves will soon be grossly out of order. And I like the way that puts that, our loves, because that's what it really is about. It's about where our heart is. What do we love? If we love things, then we'll work hard to get things. If we love the things of God, we'll work hard for the kingdom of God. But too often, in our pursuit of more, we forget about the kingdom of God. We forget about serving others, serving the Lord. Randy Alcorn says this again. He says, attempting to experience the abundant life that Jesus spoke of while burying ourselves in material abundance isn't just difficult, it's impossible. That's not because material things are inherently bad. It's because accumulated stuff suffocates us, crushes us, and blocks us from Jesus. Another popular artist said it this way, mo' money, mo' problems. I mentioned a minute ago that um, my, my wife and I rent. And for the longest time, we've, we've loved to, to get a house. But it's, I know that as soon as we do, like, what's going to happen? Then all of a sudden, I've got the yard to take care of, right? And then all of a sudden, I've got a bigger house to clean. And, and there just becomes more responsibilities the more we get stuff, right? And this is true no matter what it is. You know, you get a new snowboard. I mean, somebody's got to ride it, right? You get a new mountain bike. Somebody's got to take it out. Can't just sit in the garage and collect dust. So the more things we get, the more we feel like we need time enough to, to, to utilize the things that God has given us. <clears throat> and we can ask ourselves this. At the end of it all, what will we have? Because that's the question that God addresses in the man who was building bigger barn houses. He says, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You've heard it said, there's no U-Haul behind a hearse. And it's true, right? We can't take our things with us. And we don't know when we're going. One of the great lies that Satan tells us is that tomorrow is a guarantee, and it's not. See, the reason this is such a big deal is we talked about idolatry, 
and how the Bible calls greed, covetousness, idolatry, which is what? Tim Keller says it this way, what is an idol? It's anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. And Jesus said it this way, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The problem is that God wants your heart. And when we give our heart to things, we become busy earning those things and not busy seeking the Lord. And Jesus knew that the idolatry of more would chain us to hurry and worry. So he follows up this passage with another passage. We're not going to have time to break it down a whole lot, but I am going to read it because I think it's so interesting that immediately following this story about covetousness, Jesus says this. He says, he turns to his disciples, so he was addressing the crowd, and now he wants to turn to his smaller group of disciples and explain to them a truth out of this other truth about out of this other teaching about greed and covetousness. And he says this, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn. Yet God feeds them. Aren't you much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you are not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? This seems to be counterintuitive to us. Don't strive. Don't be anxious in the face of not striving. Usually we say, well, if I don't want to be anxious about what I have, then I need to work harder to make sure I have it, to make sure I have the food that I need to provide for my family, to make sure I have the shelter. That just makes sense to us. And yet Jesus says that in our striving, we'll never be free from hurry and worry. Our freedom is found in something else. It's found when we change our perspective. To be free from those chains of hurry and worry, we must change our perspective. And that's what he continues to talk about in this teaching. He goes on, he says this, consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Again, don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. So what's the solution? What's the change in perspective that we need? Verse 30. For the Gentile world, the world we live in, eagerly seeks all these things. Our world is eagerly seeking a lot of things, right? And calls us to eagerly seek those things too. But Jesus says this, your father knows that you need them. So there are things which are needs and things that are just wants, right? And oftentimes we are striving after what we want. But Jesus here is is dialing it back even further and saying, no, I'm talking about even your needs. Those things that you feel like, well, I can't possibly do without this. Jesus is saying, your father knows that you need them. So why are you striving? See, I'm a dad. I have kids. I know what they need. Am I going to just tell them to fend for themselves and go out into the world and, and make money? Now, I tell them that maybe when they want their stuffed animals, right? Go get a job, son. He's 12 years old. 
not going to be getting a job yet. But he's asked me many times, how can I make money, Dad? And he, of course, watches YouTube, so he thinks he's going to be a famous YouTube streamer and make tons of money. That's, the, that's what all the kids want to be these days. Like, you know, back in our day, it was like, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a YouTube streamer. How the world changes. But listen, the, the change in perspective is this. We look to God as our father. And when you have a father that you can trust, your perspective can change. So a perspective change happens when we trust God. Hebrews 13.5 says this, keep your life free from the love of money. That's what we're talking about today. And be satisfied with what you have. For, here's the how, the why. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. That may be true, but that's not what the comfort is. The comfort isn't in getting the thing. It's in getting God. It's in having God as our Father. That's where our comfort comes from, knowing he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never abandon us. Now, we're talking about simplicity today. And this is all a preface to living a life of simplicity. Because until we can address the issues of our heart, of covetousness and greed, we'll never live a lifestyle of simplicity. Simplicity, as John Mark Comer uh, describes in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, is similar to what the world may call minimalism, but it's about more than that. It's about trusting God in our hearts, so much so that it affects the outward way that we live. Simplicity can be hard. Simplicity is sometimes something that we seek after when we get too complicated in our schedule, when things become too crazy and the world will say, well, you just need to simplify your life. But sometimes it's not something we look for, is it? Sometimes it's something we are handed. It's the cards we're dealt and we got to figure out how to live with it. I was married at 18 years old, had three kids by the time I graduated college. So I've had to live simply uh, many times as far as what I had, right? Didn't have a lot of money in the bank account. And so living simply, again, it can be something you, you put as your goal, or it can be something that you are having to live no matter kind of what your choice is or kind of what you desire because of the circumstance that you're in. And we can either submit ourselves to God's will for us and say, I know that God is my father, or we can covet even from a place of simplicity. Does that make sense? So if we have a lot, maybe we're more tempted to look to our things to fulfill us, to keep us safe, to give us shelter. And if we don't have a lot, we could say, well, I'm not living simplicity out of my own choice, but God may be saying, no, but I want you to trust me without much. And so when I'm tempted to covet, because the reality is, whether you're in a place of simplicity or not, you're tempted to look out in the world. And I tell myself this, Matthew 16, 26, for what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world, yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? See, I remember the life that I have been given. And if I remember that life, it's going to change the way I live my life. 
If I remember the eternal life that I have in Christ, it's going to change the way I practice ordinary life, the life that you and I face today. Richard Foster says this, the Christian discipline of simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. Both the inward and the outward aspects of simplicity are essential. We deceive ourselves if we believe we can possess the inward reality without its having a profound effect on how we live. To attempt to arrange an outward lifestyle of simplicity without the inward reality leads to deadly legalism. So again, Jesus always does this. He always points us to the heart, right? The, the, the man who came to talk to Jesus and said, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with that on the surface, but Jesus is gonna dive into what is your heart? Are you yearning for things more than you're yearning for God? And he tells him, this is how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You will have your things until you die and then you'll have nothing. Or you could say, I could, I, I could say no to the whole world so that I may gain the Lord and gain what I have in him. But what does this really look like? What does it look like to say no to covetousness and greed and actually have a heart that trusts God? And, and what does it look like to live that out in our lives in such a way that we're not hurrying and worrying as much as we tend to do? So there's five practices we're going to talk about briefly. The first one is limit what you own. Maybe we need to say no to some things. Maybe we need to practice that art of saying no to things in our own lives. Saying no to that next phone upgrade, right? I got to have the iPhone 32, right? I mean, it's going to be that before we know it, right? And, and there's always going to be the next one that comes out. There's always going to be uh, more clothes that we yearn for, that we want to fill our closet with when maybe the clothes that worked yesterday will work for us today. We want to do things as a church like limiting our debt, saying that maybe there's things that I can put off on instead of buying into this drug almost of buying and selling things. And, and it's, it's like, it's how we get our, our therapy, right? Like going in, into the store and going shopping. And, and, and yet, if we trust in the Lord, then we'll limit our debt. Next practice would be decluttering your life. This is things like even our social media and, and the ways in which we look at outward things. Maybe it's your email, checking it throughout the day because it's work and I got to get to it, right? And how can we simplify our life in the way that we declutter the noise so that we have less distractions away from God? We want to do things like practicing contentment and gratitude. One of my favorite verses is a very simple verse. It's Romans 12, 21. It says, do not be overcome by evil. Evil is what Jesus is calling out here, right? It's, it's greed. It's covetousness. Don't be overcome by it, but overcome evil with good. See, when we're doing good, when we're doing something to serve others, when we are practicing gratitude and saying out loud, thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for this in my life. Maybe it's keeping a, a journal of things that you're grateful for. Practicing that contentment and gratitude is a way to overcome this greed and this covetousness that we face in our society, which leads to practicing outward generosity towards others. And it's that, that act itself of, of giving things away, of, of giving to others, is like ripping the Band-Aid off. It's really, it's really healing, 
and really hurtful at the same time sometimes. It's like, I really don't want to give this away right now. I would love to, you know, I've had that on my wish list for a while. Uh, I could go spend it on that or I could give it away. And then I'm having to sacrifice what I was saying I wanted for so long. But if we just give it away, we'll find that we have a more blessed life. Acts 20.35 says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Tis the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free, tis the gift to come down to where we ought to be. That's an old hymn. And, uh, and I think we have a hard time sometimes believing that's where we ought to be. It's living a life of simplicity. But the Lord calls us to trust him, to find joy and delight and freedom in a place where maybe the world says that doesn't make sense. And when we do that, we can be a light to the world. We can say, it's because I have a father that I trust. So these practices, they may be hard to put into practice in our life. But when we do, it brings glory to God our Father. It brings glory to him in heaven and shows us that we can trust him and shows the world that we have a father that we can trust in. As I was really preparing for this message, I really struggled uh, in a way that I, I, I haven't struggled as much before. Um, I've given sermons before and, and talked on a lot of hard topics, theologically hard topics, practical hard topics. And this one really was difficult for me because it cuts so close to home. And like I told you, it's not that I've never had to live simply, but I know where my heart's at. <laughs> and God was showing me some things, you know, that, yeah, Garrett, maybe there's some times you've had to live simply, but where was your heart? Was it trusting me in the midst of those times? And I would say sometimes, but sometimes not so much. And maybe you're there with me. Maybe God has shown you that you need to trust him more with the things that he has given you. And trust him that he'll give you the things that he, you need. Um, as I was really convicted about it, I just had to write out some of my thoughts. And I, I, I wrote a poem. And I wanted to share it with you today. I felt like the best way for me to share it would actually be over video. So we're going to watch a video at this time. But before we do, would you bow your heads in prayer with me? God, I thank you that you're a God who is with us. God, I thank you that you're a God who provides for us. God, I pray that we would feel conviction today, but a conviction that leads us to a closer relationship with you. Uh, that doesn't tear us down, but lifts us up because we see the light. We see we can be that vessel that you've called us to be, a vessel of your grace, Lord, your truth in the world. So help us to be shaped more by your word than what the world teaches us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Years of conditioning have taught us. Thousands of advertisements bought us. They scream into the void, arrows piercing the soul. Oh, how we yearn for God. But in this place, we found another to fill the space. More things, more cares, more money to spare. Our closets are full of yesterday's clothes, and we only want more until our pride is full. Oh, how we yearn for God. The phone in my pocket is buzzing again. I must 
answer it now if I want to win, because more hustle will get me more secure. And what if when I get there, I climbed all the way up just to realize it'll never be enough? Oh, how we yearn for God. But we sacrifice our families, we sacrifice our joy, we spend all our time on things that won't last, yesterday's toys are thrown in the trash. We walk a dark road, never to know. All we desire was right under our nose, because the greatness of God is found in simplicity. And I'm sorry I tried for so long to squeeze you into the box of things that I wanted because you made it all and I just treated you like you were one of the boys. Come along for the ride, God, you'll be right there when I need you. But that's no way to treat the one who made you. And when I was down, I raised a fist and I cried. It's not fair when I lose. It's not fair. It's not fair. I want joy too. I want the good life. But in the search for more, you were nowhere in sight because I left you back there. I left you back there. Oh God, forgive me. I left you back there. I'm here, you say. I lift my eyes and you show me. There's life in the mundane. There's hope in each new day. There's greatness and glory in the things that you gave me, in the shoes on my feet, in the air that I breathe. I might not have a lot or I may have much, but what counts is the promise. I stand in your love. Oh, how we yearn for God. And I see it now, you meet me here, your grace and your mercy replacing my fear. My longing now turns to a person, not things, no lover, no friend, no, only the king, the maker of heaven and giver of days. Your way is better, for your yoke is easy and your burden is light. I find true beauty when I open my eyes to see the greatness of God is found in simplicity. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.